Good morning to you. I have to admit that I did something not so good the other Sunday. My wife gave me a card to read to you last Sunday, and I left it home. But I need to share with you what she wrote. It's addressed to the ladies of Providence. Dear ladies of Providence, I just recently finished opening all the thoughtful and amazing gifts that you showered upon me since coming here. I have been to many churches, but I have never felt so much love and spirit of open arms ever before. Thank you for each and every gift, from lotions, gift cards, precious notes of encouragement, and who can forget the chocolate? I shall never forget your sisterhood. I so wish I could see you each and every Sunday, but caring for my dad is my priority for this season in life. Thank you for being Jesus' hands and feet to me and to many others. In Jesus' love, Tammy Andrews. So she sent these to the ladies at Christmas time. Appreciate all that she did. And Tammy and I certainly do appreciate the gift, the monetary gift that you gave us uh, Christmas Eve. We appreciate that so very, very much. I have an idea for a good Christmas present for myself, but I think it's going to go for my wife's Christmas present. So that's okay. That's the way life is, and we're happy to do that. Thank you so much for your kindness to us as we've come to the church, and your friendliness and open hearts, and your reception uh, to the work. And uh, we do appreciate it so very, very much, and are proud to be part of the Providence Baptist Church and part of this church family. We do want to encourage you uh, and thank you for that. A couple of other items. One is that I believe that we have a a kind of a connection to a celebrity here. Uh, In the recent pathway, Martha Spears was written up as being the uh, one of the oldest secretaries to retire. I think she's 96. Is that about 96 years old? And she thought it was about time to retire as church secretary after 33 years up in Maysville. Oh, she has to train a replacement. So that is wonderful. So I encourage you to look in the pathway, a nice article there. I read part of it and I thought it was really interesting that she walked into the auditorium and saw a bunch of drums sitting there and the music director thought he was going to get, uh, you know, a pretty bad hard time but she said you don't know how long I've been waiting for us to have drums in this church (laughs) I thought that was kind of unique but anyway if you haven't noticed it that's Rick's mother and uh, we're proud that Rick is here and we're honored to to know about his mother and appreciate her service for these many years it's very good for us to recognize that we also want to lift up uh, uh, Corman Corbin Hausman in prayer. They have uh, been struggling with Corbin, um, and they're still not quite sure, I think, but there's some, he's been having some seizures and not sure of the source of that. So please pray for Corbin and for uh, Stephen and Sandra as they minister to him, uh, that the doctors will figure out what the necessary things are uh, or he has and how we can uh, pray for him and how the Lord can be the great physician. So let's go ahead and and pray right now, and we'll lift up Corbin, and we'll just ask the Lord to bless us as we study this morning um, in our message time and in our worship. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your great and wonderful hand of love upon us. 
uh, through this church and through our hearts, you've enabled us to reach out and to serve others and touch them. And we don't forget the fact that prayer is so valuable and so important. And we come to a holy and awesome God who is so amazing, so different from anything the world could even possibly offer. We have a holy God who created this world and created us and loved us so much that he was willing to allow his son Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be part of your family and to talk to you and walk with you and serve you uh, at this moment in time and in the years to come. As long as you tarry in sending Jesus again, uh, we look forward to serving you and to walking with your son Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We lift up in a, in a celebratory way Martha as she's son that uh, served these so many years in, in her church in Maysville. And what a testimony uh, she has and what a a way in which, and through her service, she's been able to share with so many people over the years. But we also lift up a little Corbin and pray that you will be the great physician and touch him and help him, help the doctors and the nurses to know what it is and, and to be able to minister to him. And Father, we pray right now that you will be the great physician, you yourself, and just touch his body and heal him and help him uh, during this time. We thank you for the end of this year, and we thank you for the beginning of a new year, and we ask that through our worship now that we'll be able to commit ourselves to serving you in such a way that other people recognize how essential you are, how essential your son Jesus is, and how essential the church is during times of crisis and through the various ways and and things that we encounter in in a given year that we can look to you and hold on to you and find hope and encouragement and sustaining grace and love and mercy in all that you've done for us and all you continue to do. We pray all these things in Jesus' wonderful and holy name. Amen. Amen. I wonder how many of you are kind of glad 2020 is coming to an end. You want to raise your hand? Oh, some of you. Uh, Some of you might be a little bit nervous about 2021 because maybe it's not going to be any better. Life in this this world right now is about masks and physical distancing and tests and things of that nature, although we do have a vaccine or two, and God is uh, moving, I think, through that, and we're praying that 2021 may be better, at least as far as the COVID virus is concerned. I mean, Just about every family has either been touched or knows someone who has struggled with the virus or passed away uh, through this this season. My my wife's uncle just died uh, down in Knoxville, Tennessee of the virus, and we're saddened to hear that. But he was a believer, so he's with Jesus, and that's our hope and our comfort. You know, Friday, I think, um, is New Year's Day, right? And the youth are going to have a lock-in. That's going to be kind of fun, right? Uh, New Year's Day, and they're going to wait for up there. And I don't know how they're going to do New York-style thing where that ball comes down and drops with uh, maybe everybody be wearing masks. Now it's fashionable to have designer masks. You know, you can put things on there and all that, and people are wearing those around. It's part of a fashion statement. And that's kind of interesting because what would you put on front of your mouth, you know? 
Nobody can tell whether you're, you're smiling or whether you're doing this, right? It's amazing. You can't, you know, you can't tell. I think uh, Brother Steve has got the idea, somebody told me that you, you're going around saying, oh, well, you've got pretty eyes. And maybe that's good. Maybe we're looking more at the eyes. Uh, maybe that's an opening to the soul, to the person, rather than just the physical appearance. So maybe the masks aren't so bad uh, in one way or another. We get to express ourselves with our, with our uh, various different designer styles. And I know there's commercials now about buy this mask. And all that. But on the other hand, if we don't want to express ourselves, or at least not let people know what we're expressing, we can do it. Nobody will know, right? Because you have your mask. So it isn't all bad. But I do want to share with you that I'm going to be preaching a series of sermons on the essential church. People have just come to realize that church worship and church during the time of virus is essential. Although it was a big battle to convince them of that. I mean, you can have all the different kinds of stores out there that cater to things that are somewhat detrimental to society and yet at the same time close down the churches. That's not saying that we're, we're following the right things. The following the right things is recognize that churches are essential. essential. And I want to preach about that coming up, but right now I want to talk about getting it all together or getting it right in 2021, because this is a prelude to the study of the essential church where I want to talk more about the group of people together who are church members. But on the other hand, today I want to talk about individually. You know, the New Year's when we make all kinds of resolutions, and we talk about how things are going to be different in our lives. In 2021, people buy a lot of gym memberships, right? They, they swear they're going to lose weight, or they're going to give up this, or they're going to do this, or they're going to do this, and sometimes our energy level kind of makes it through January, but then February it's all over and we're just doing the same thing. But I want to share with you this morning about how to get it right and how to make 2020 a fabulous and wonderful year, a year like no other year before. And it's kind of an important way to understand this because one thing that we don't get back is time. And it runs on and we've lost it. We could use it in a great and wonderful way. God can bless it in a tremendous way that we never thought possible. But if we squander it or let it get by, we don't ever get it back. So I'd like to share with you something from the biblical text that's going to do that. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles there. There's pew Bibles, or if you bring a Bible to 2 Timothy uh, 2.15. 2 Timothy obviously comes after 1 Timothy, but it's there after Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, near the end of the Bible, and we can go there. You might know this verse. It's one verse. Paul is indeed talking to Timothy particularly, and you might make the argument that Timothy is a clergy, a minister, but Timothy is a believer. And so I think Paul is also saying this to Timothy. And since I believe one of the major principles of a Bible interpretation or the study of the Bible is that the Bible is relevant. Don't let people tell you that it is an old book that has a whole bunch of old stories that has nothing to do with your life. That's a lie. The Bible is absolutely relevant 
to what our life is like. And since that's a major principle of in scripture, of our scripture and scripture interpretation, I think this passage not only just speaks to Timothy, it should also speak to us as believers. So that's how I want to apply it. Not that it's just directed to Timothy, somebody that Paul's writing to, but it's directed to the whole church's individual believers. Because for the church to be essential, the individual believers who make up the body of the church have to get it right. If they don't get it right, the church can't be essential. The church can't be that beacon of light, of encouragement, of hope, that is out there in the community calling to people, trying to reach out to people, extend a helping hand of love and care and mercy for them to deal with life. So if the individuals don't get it right, the church can't get it right. Do you follow me? Because if a church is a bunch of people who don't get it right, then the church isn't getting it right. And nobody's going to come to the church. And I'm not preaching this as a message of church growth. But I want to tell you that if the individual church members get it right, then the church becomes essential because it gets it right and people will come to the church because they feel like it's important for their life. People drop out of church because they just don't feel the church is essential anymore, that it's relevant to what they do. We wind up having younger folks come and then they disappear. They never come back. Older folks just decide that there's other things that seem to be more important. And that's usually a case of the fact that the church people aren't getting it right. That the church itself isn't being essential. That there's nothing here that's being helpful that needs to be part of our lives. We need God as part of our lives. That's, that's a fact. We need Jesus Christ as a part of our lives. That's a fact. If God created life, then he knows how to live it. If Jesus is his son and died on the cross to save us from the problems in life, then he knows what to do. And we need to seek the Lord, seek God, and to seek Jesus Christ to see how they're telling us to live. So Paul tells Timothy this verse, and this is what he says, uh, in verse 15 of, cha of 2 Timothy chapter 2, Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Let me read that again. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. This is what I want to share with you this morning. And there's just three things I'd, I'd like to share. And that is, uh, well, before we get there, okay, let's get there. Number one is getting approved. Getting approved. Paul tells Timothy, he says, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved. Now, there's a misunderstanding about religion. Um, some religion teaches that you do every single thing on your own to please God. We call that works. You do all kinds of works, and maybe God's going to like you. You do things that help people, or you burn a number of candles, or you do whatever else the church says to please the church and maybe please God, and 
that's important because that's how they believe faith is all about. But the Bible teaches us that our faith is in Jesus Christ alone. It's not who we are or what we've done, how good we are, how handsome we look or beautiful we look, whether we're part of the A-list or the D-list or whatever that makes us approved to God. What makes us approved to God is what God lays down in His Word. What does the Word say? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. What God desires is to have a personal relationship with us because we have met His Son Jesus personally. Now, I'm not talking about knowing about Jesus. There's a whole bunch of people who know about Jesus. Some of them have studied the Bible completely, but they have never met him. I remember one time, we were, my father and I were standing not too far away from a, a little Methodist church back in the, uh, well, it was in the 70s maybe, and uh, the minister came out to talk to us, and he was telling us that he was the pastor of this church, and he was happy to be not in Vietnam at the moment, but here. And then he said, when my father talked to him, he said, you know, I've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I hope one day I might, but I've never really had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. See, the Bible doesn't talk about doctrines and faith and super knowledge detailed about all of this stuff. It also talks about a personal experience. Meeting Jesus Christ, being born again. I think the way that we become approved with God, and that's what this is saying here, isn't how many times we show up at church as if there's an angel up there marking us down how many things we do that are designed to get God's, our understanding of God's approval, and we totally ignore what the Bible says about getting approved by God. My daughter Hannah went to College of the Ozarks and studied hard, very hard, because she knew that she wanted to be a nurse, and she knew that at the end of her time of studying, there was a thing called the NCLEX, where she had to take the test to be approved, to be accepted, to be certified. What kind of test do you think it is that God gives us? When we stand before him in that last day, in that final moment, for us to give an account of ourselves, what is the test going to be? The Bible says in Hebrews, it is appointed unto everyone once to die, and if we all die... And then comes the judgment. The judgment is that test. Sometimes we feel like final exams are judgment days. But what is it that God's going to ask us? What is the test going to be? How are we going to be approved? This word approved means to, be, to really be one who stands the test, one who gets a passing grade, one who gets their priorities straight after being tested. You've got your priorities in the right manner, the right way. The question I'm asking, if we know we're supposed to be believers, what is the test? What do we plead? That we're super smart? 
that we're handsome, good-looking, that we're one of the cool kids? No, the Bible tells us to plead only the blood of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who died on the cross that gives us the opportunity to pass the test. The test is coming to know him as your personal Lord and Savior. Ask him into your heart, asking him to forgive you of your sins and seeking his spirit, his holiness, and asking him to save you through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only test. Paul is telling to Timothy, you need to be diligent to make sure that you and everyone you preach to understands the bottom line. The bottom line is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what I believe the Bible says. It's not having a great knowledge of doctrine. It's not going to the right church. It's not finding the right spiritual guru. It's having knowledge, a personal experience of Jesus. It's knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So here's the point. If you want to be successful in 2021, the first thing you need to know is that you've got God on your side because you've passed the test. And the test is that you have a relationship with Him. Now, you might disagree with me. You might think this is all balderdash and whatever, but this is what Scripture says. And I used to tell kids in the youth class that I was uh, teaching that you will not be successful in life, period, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I told that to two big old football players. And they backed me up against a wall and they said, what do you mean you won't be successful unless you meet this guy? What's his name? Jesus. And I got the chance to share with them what the scripture says. It's not me, it's this. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What God was doing in Jesus as Jesus went and taught and taught people about the kingdom of God. You know, we're not actually citizens of just the United States, if we're citizens at all. We're actually citizens of the kingdom of God if we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. The kingdom of God is what our allegiance to is because Jesus is our Lord and Master, and He's the King. And what God is calling us to do to be approved is to learn that we are in the process of discipleship. Discipleship is a journey. You've heard that term before, discipleship. Well, this is what happens. To be approved, you know Christ. You come to know him as your Savior, and you're diligently studying and growing and on a journey to deepen your life with Christ. Knowing him better and better, trusting him more and more, seeing things the way he sees things, not the way I do, not the way other, but the way he does in your personal experience with him. And it's your walk with Christ. This is what discipleship is. Discipleship is knowing Christ personally and then experiencing Christ as you walk in your daily life. That equals service because Jesus will help you to make a difference where you are. You can't know Jesus and really walk with him without him using you to minister and serve and help other people. See, what Jesus does is he turns the focus of our hearts away from our own self-centeredness 
in an inward way, all about me, what can I do, what can I get? And as we yield ourselves to him, guess what he does? He turns our minds over to concern ourselves with others. It's a different way of looking at life. And 2021 will be totally different if you get that change. Paul said to, um, to in one of the church letters, he said, put off the old man, it's Ephesians, and by the renewing of your mind, put on the new person. It's like taking off those old tattered clothes of self-centeredness and sinfulness and putting on the new jersey that says Jesus, right? I get tickled at the mass now. You can get mass for your famous, your team. So I haven't seen a Chiefs mass, but, you know, they play today, I think. But there's Chiefs, there's a Chiefs shirt, there's Chiefs. We can get a Chiefs mass. Well, what if we got one that said Jesus? What if we're playing on his team? What if we're seeking to serve him? He's going to use us in service. And all of that is part of discipleship. Discipleship is not just knowing a whole lot about God in the Bible and church. It's knowing Jesus personally and walking with him every day. So if you want to get a good 2021 going, the point is get approved. Get approved, take the test, see how to pass it, see how to live it and learn it. My daughter told me that the NCLEX was a good test to take because... It wasn't just knowledge, but it helped her to know what to do as a nurse. Knowing Christ Jesus isn't just a knowledge, it's also knowing how to live in a life that is faithful, that gives glory to a holy God, and you will be amazed at what God will do. Secondly, getting to work. Getting to work. Paul said to Timothy, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, a worker who knows how to do the work well and good. I went, uh, when I was in college, I went and, and uh, worked for an electrical company, a Mennonite minister, he had a company, and I had to go to code school because I needed to learn in code school how to know what to do. And on the job, I was taught to do a good job. You need to learn how to be a worker that isn't ashamed because not only do we know what we need to do, but we need to do it well enough so that it's a good job. It's not a bad job, but it's a good job. I walked into a house once uh, where we were supposed to be fixing things and somebody had done a job of wiring it and it was the worst job I'd ever seen in the world. This, this one guy had to, to bring a wire over here from over there, and instead of making a really nice, neat pathway with nice staples along the joist and then down the wall, he went from here to there with the wire. You couldn't even walk there because you walk into the wires. That was a very poor job. I won't tell you what my father-in-law says that kind of job was, but that was a bad job. Well... Are Christians supposed to do the same? No, we're supposed to know how to do things with excellence, with things that honor God, because you know what? We give that to God. If we're believers, then we give him our life and all that we do. We learn all about him, and then as we walk with him as a worker in the discipleship experience, then we learn how to do the best job, the job that glorifies and honors him. 
I think about the songs at Christmas where he talks about bringing gifts and laying them before the baby in the manger. Right? Well, why don't we lay things, our lives, at the foot of Jesus in such a way that it honors him, that it honors God? Oh, you know, we can give God, eh, we'll, we'll put on, going to church, we'll put it on a part of a list, you know, maybe it's not the high priority. Or doing things in service for the Lord, well, if we get around to it, I have a round to it, somebody gave me one, get around to it, right? But see, what we need to recognize, if you want to have a really good 2021, then you need to do everything with excellence to honor Jesus Christ. He will give you the ability to do it. He will give you the ability to become a good disciple. Knowledge without experience is dull and dry and useless. We have churches full of people with great Bible knowledge, but they're dead as a doornail. We have also churches who experience only experience and they don't have any knowledge and they go off the deep end doing all kinds of experiential things, but it really isn't guided, it's misguided, and it sometimes leads to distorting what the Bible says. We need to have our personal knowledge of Jesus Christ and the experience of doing work with excellence. That's the basis of an essential church anyway, but it's the basis of a successful Christian life. If you really want to be successful, Jesus, who created us as well as God, the Bible tells us that he was there at the beginning of the creation of the world. He knows about life. He knows exactly what to do. And he can make us a kind of a person that is super, super successful. But now I want you to understand that you can't measure that successfulness by the world's ideas. Because the world measures success and, and being famous and wealthy and important influencers on YouTube and, and Instagram, and I don't know what they're doing now, and all TikTok and all that kind of stuff. You get to be, a f you go viral with your video and you get to be famous. Sometimes you make a little money, maybe not, but the idea is that all that is done with the wrong kind of ideas, with the wrong kind of base of priorities and the right presuppositions about life. The presuppositions about life, the things that we need to do to get to work, to balance our work, to make it excellent, comes from God, comes from our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that helps us to be successful in life. We need to get to work as individuals. We need to say, Lord, I want to do the work that matters for time and eternity. Now, there's a lot of little things we can do in life, but what matters in our life for time and eternity? A lot of things in our life is temporal and they pass away. They don't last, but there's a lot of things that God can help us do that will be forever and ever and ever because he helps us do those. He helps us to have a life that matters, that's valuable that goes beyond the world's concept of what is important and valuable, he helps us to do that which sustains others in their walk with Jesus Christ, gives them hope, helps encourage them, lifts them up. This is what God is going to do. He wants us to get to work, to be, not to be weary in well-doing, not to 
turn our eyes away or our arms away or our help away from people who are hurting, who are broken, who need help. Someone who says, I care about you, and they mean it, so they put it into action. They just don't say it, they actually do it. See, that's the height of hypocrisy when you say it and don't do it. Be warmed and filled and then throw them out the door. No, God is calling us to reach out, to deal with people honestly, lovingly, caringly, because the bottom line is this about work. Jesus went to the cross for us, and he suffered there. And then we get all upset and bothered because we have to do something for others. You see, it doesn't connect. It's a disconnect. What Jesus did should be our example, our, our motto, our, our goal. And yet what we let the world do is say, oh, no, it's more about you. Don't bother with that. Do it for yourself. Number one, the first person, you. And we're full of narcissistic, self-centered people who claim to be believers in Christ, but don't bother to look to the cross to see that their example is suffering and giving for the life of others. Where would we be if Jesus didn't die on the cross for our sins? Think about that for a while. Well, the last point is getting it right. The last point is getting it right. See, how do we know what is right? How do we know what to do? Well, Paul said to Timothy, correctly teaching the word of truth. I love that phrase. Actually, there's a seminary, I won't name it because it's not the one that I teach at, but it's in Louisville, Kentucky. And up on the top of one of the mantles, sadly, I think they've done something to, to take away from that, but up on one of the, the, the a ch a building, what do you call that, the, the, the head of the doors, so you go in the door, it has this, this phrase written in Greek. Uh, and the translation here is correctly teaching the word of truth or in the way it is in the King James, rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, literally in the Greek, it means cutting straight the word of truth. Now, I'll illustrate that with something from my crazy life, which you probably get tired of hearing about. But I trust, I'll tell you, it's not a manger story, okay? When I was a kid, my mom made a really good uh, cherry pie. And um, I really love cherry pie. And there was one kind of big piece left, you know. But my brother, who's a little older than me, he wanted a piece of it, and I wanted a piece of it. So we actually had an argument for about 10 minutes about who was going to cut the pie. See, because I didn't trust that he would cut it straight. And he didn't trust that I would cut it straight. That I would, that I would cut the pie to favor myself, or he would cut the pie to favor himself. So you know what we did? We went and got our mom. Mom made the pie, and we said, Mom, you can cut this straight. So we both will be blessed with equal shares of the pie. Well, that's what this word means, cutting it straight. Dividing it in the right way. Not misunderstanding it, not favoring one person or another, but getting it just right. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy to do. He says, you, you need to be diligent to do this, study to do this. You need to work hard to do this correctly teaching the word of truth. That's one, one thing that churches have to do. They have to correctly 
teach the word of truth. Do you know how much Bible illiteracy is there is in our world today? People say they know about the Bible, and the Bible is one of the biggest selling books of all time, but people don't read it. There are plenty of new translations trying to get at the meaning of the text in ways in which we can understand it, so you don't have to have a, a degree in Old English, like in the King James. But there are people who don't read it. They have it, but they don't read it. I met a man who told me he had a personal Bible, and I said, oh, really, where is it? Well, I left it on the pew. I leave it on the pew every Sunday, and when I come back, it's still there. But the Bible is supposed to be read. Now, that's a joke in one way, because people can have a red Bible, but it's supposed to be R-E-A-D, read, and studied, and learned. The Bible is the Word of God. It's the book that tells us what to do. And yet we don't read it. What our church needs to do and be as an essential church is serious, clear, applicable Bible study. If you come to a church and you hear a pastor who doesn't teach the Word of God, I'm not, I'm not offended, if, or you shouldn't be worried if you go find another church. If you go to a church where the Sunday school teacher doesn't teach the Word of God, doesn't struggle, doesn't work, the pastor, the teacher, the church members don't seem to care about correctly studying the Bible and understanding its relevance for our lives today, I wouldn't go to that church. That church is an essential. That church is failing to preach the gospel message, to be faithful to the Word of God. You need to find a church where everyone in the church understands the value and the need for the Bible to be that source book, textbook, instruction book, for us to live. So I had a little Toyota and I worked in, in a gas station when I was in high school. That's when we had pump jockeys. I don't know if you know what a pump jockey is. Jockey is. That's where you drove up and somebody else put your gas in, right? Not the self-serve stuff. I used to go and, you want me to wash your windshield, check your oil and fill your car up? That's what I did. But I also learned how to change oil and work on cars and things like that in the car bays in the automotive. It was actually an SO gas station. You ever heard of that? <laughs> it's not SO anymore, but uh, Standard Oil of New Jersey. Anyway, um, I, I kind of fancied myself as a pretty good shade tree mechanic. And one day my little Toyota, the glass on the driver's side fell in the door. You ever had that happen? You go to open it up and it falls down in there and you try and get it out. And I thought I could fix it. So after a couple of days where the rain came in and messed everything up, I got out there and I knew that I had to take the door, the, the, the window handle off because this was before all the little buttons and all that. And I tried every which way to find a screw or something. I pulled on it. I tug on it. I got my tools out, my, my nail, my hammer, and, and, and I know they didn't work, but then the uh, uh, pliers and everything I could do, and I couldn't get the thing off. And I want to be honest, I was about ready to lose my religion. And then I remembered, I remembered that I had bought, much to the horror of my wife, because this was way back in the uh, early 90s, an instruction manual for the Toyota, and it must have cost me like 60 bucks, and she was just, that's too much money. And I had put it in the trunk of the car, so I remembered it was there, so I opened up the trunk and I got it, 
and I flip to where it says, you know, disassembling the door. So it said, take a, a, a rag, a little rag, go up under the window handle, and go right and left. Boom, boom, and a little clip will fall off, and you can take it off. And I'm going, nah, that's so silly. That, I've tried everything else. So I got a rag, a little cloth, like a handkerchief, and I went up underneath of it, and I went, bloop, bloop, and the clip popped out, and the door, and the, and the, door, uh, the window handle fell off. I'd spent hours out there. One of those days I was spending hours, it was sleeting in the rain, and I couldn't figure out how to do it. And the instruction book told me to do something I thought was absolutely ridiculous, crazy, but it worked. Folks, the Bible is our instruction book. Sometimes it tells us to do things that are crazy and weird. God's strategy isn't our strategy, but it works. It's the way to be successful. Holding on to the word of God and reading it and listening to God speak to us, asking God to help us understand how it is relevant to us and to our needs is the bottom line of being essential, of being successful. If you want to be successful in 2021, not only do you have to get the idea of, of how we come to know God and get to work in serving him, but we need to study the word of God so that we can learn what to do. We need to have serious, clear, applicable Bible study, the relevant word of God. And then our lives will be indeed essential and our lives indeed will, and our church indeed will be essential. That's why we need to make sure that in our worship, we have Bible study. That's why the preaching of the word is an important part of our worship service. We're not up here to entertain, we're up here to study, we're up here to work, to learn, to understand God's care for us. And we understand that in his holiness and his love for us by reading the word of God, by studying it, by asking God to teach us through it, to get it right. And if we get it right, then together as a church, we can get it right. And if we get it right together as a church, you know what? The world will recognize that we have it right. Someone has told me that there's over 4,000 churches that close their doors every year in the recent years. A lot of them are Southern Baptists. I think maybe eight or 900 a year are Southern Baptists. Southern Baptist churches and Baptist churches are plateaued or dying. In other words, they're not going anywhere or they're going down. They're stuck in a rut. Maybe your life is stuck in a rut. Maybe our church is stuck in a rut. Well, how do we get out of that rut? How do we climb out of it? We climb out of it by making sure that first we've passed the test, and the test of God is to know his son Jesus as Lord and Savior. We need to climb out of that rut by learning that it's not all about us, it's about others, and churning our focus inward from being inward and all the activities that we do just to make us feel happy and begin to look outward to help the world find their needs fulfilled and to find the Savior who can fulfill those needs. 
And finally, we need to get it right by holding on to the Word of God, studying it, learning it, asking God to teach us through it how to live a life that will be successful for all time and eternity. That's what we need to do to be an essential believer and what we need to do to be an essential church. Now, I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward at this time, and we're going to have a time of an invitation. And I want to be really clear about this because there's a whole lot of churches recently that just don't do invitations anymore. They think it's maybe uh, an affront to other people, that it hurts their sensibilities. Well, I don't really care if I offend you by telling you this because I'm not exactly going to have to give an answer to you when I go and be in front of the Savior, but I will have to give an answer to the Lord. I like invitations because I don't see them as simple ways to circumvent a deep and powerful relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not pressing to count how many people come down here. I see that hand. I'm not asking for those things. I'm asking for you this morning in this church today to stop and think about their response to what Paul has said here. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, please give us the opportunity to go tell you and to show you in the Word of God what it means to know Jesus personally. You will never, ever forget when you come to know Him personally. We want to give you that opportunity, but we ask for you simply to come forward. And we'll send you in the privacy of another room. I got deacons, I'll lean on. I got ladies, I'll lean on. And I'll say to them, take the word of God and share with them what it means to know Jesus Christ. Now here, I want to stop for a second and tell you this. If, I, if you can't do that, and you can't be one of those persons I call on, and you're a believer, and you're here, and you want to be faithful to the Lord, you better learn that pretty quickly. Because in a moment, at a certain time, God will use you to tell someone else about the hope that lies within your heart. And you better know how to share those scriptures, what they are, where to go, to help someone else come to know Christ. That's a very, very important thing for our discipleship and our growth. But if you come forward saying, I'd like to know more about Jesus and I'll send you with a, another person in the privacy of another room, they're not going to make you sign anything. We're not out to count you. We just want you to see what the scripture says and then give you an opportunity to respond to those scriptures by asking Jesus into your heart. In the invitation, if you're looking for a church home and you're convinced and we're convinced that this is the place we need to be where we're rightly dividing the word of truth. We are an essential church. We understand what the word of God says. And we want you to come and share with us here if you feel led to come and join us to be part of that church as we grow in discipleship, to go from our knowledge of Christ to our experience in walking with him, to give him glory and honor. And people will know automatically that this is a very, very essential church. And I want you to come and meet me here at the front as well. If you just want to rededicate your life, then where you are as we sing, just do that. Sing this song to the Lord. Or we have up here the opportunity to come and kneel at the front, grab someone else, and just come up here and pray together during this time, if that's what God is leading you to do. I think that's part of a, of a legitimate invitation as well. And finally, God, I think, is going to be working on us 
And somewhere, he's already done this, but sometimes, somewhere, he's calling people to serve him in some type of Christian service, maybe part-time or full-time. And you have to let the church know this so the church can pray for you, lift you up, and help you get trained as you seek to be of service to God. And maybe God is calling someone here to do that. In the invitation, that's a time to come forward. I don't want to stand up there and kind of look stupid. You just come if God calls you. But I'll stand up there in a way of saying, please, if God is leading you, don't delay and don't wait. Come today. For whatever it may be, maybe you need help in some way or, or other. Come and talk to me, pray with me, and we'll see how we can help you and ask God to open those doors to help you in whatever you do. This is the kind of invitation that I like to have. So let's stand and sing this song as we sing our invitation to the Lord. <laughs>